Welcome to episode five in our breastfeeding podcast series with Amberly Harris. In this episode, we discuss the most weird, wonderful, and truly horrifying breastfeeding myths, and we debunk all of them for you. Enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. Hello and welcome to episode five, our final episode of the breastfeeding podcast series. In this breastfeeding series so far, we have covered the five things to help you establish a successful breastfeeding relationship, the magical breast crawl and how to help initiate this afterbirth, the power of antenatal expressing and why storing colostrum can be a super immunity booster for your baby, how to manage mastitis, nipple damage and milk supply issues after birth and so much more. We have covered a lot. Now, I know I said this was our final episode, but we do have a sneaky sixth episode, but this is only available to Pregnancy Posse members. In this bonus episode, we cover pumping milk, best pump brands, as well as a visual demonstration of antenatal hand expressing and correct baby latch onto the nipple. If you want to find out more about the Pregnancy Posse and trial it for seven days, just visit thepregnancyposse.com. In today's episode, Amberly Harris is debunking all of the wild and wonderful breastfeeding myths that you wonderful ladies sent in to me. As you should know by now, Amberly is an all-round breastfeeding legend and has helped so many women on their breastfeeding journeys through her private practice business. You can find Amberly on social media at Maternal Instincts by Amberly and definitely get in touch with her if you would like extra support on your breastfeeding journey. Like with any pregnancy, birth or motherhood related topic, every person and their dog will tell you stories about breastfeeding. Now, not all of them, in fact, a lot of them will simply not be true. And it may be that person's individual experience or it may be an old wives tale. Either way, Amberly busts through all of these myths today with evidence-based research so that you know fact from fiction. In today's episode, we cover whether you should prepare your nipples with a nail file or sandpaper or not, whether formula will help your baby sleep through the night, the truth about breastfeeding after six months, and whether lentils will really make your child gassy, whether boob size indicates milk supply, and so much more. Now, this is our final episode in the breastfeeding series, aside from the sneaky bonus episode. So please sit back and enjoy, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss the launch of our next series. So sit back and listen to us have a laugh about how ridiculous some of these myths are. I am very excited for this segment because I know that this is what women have been wanting to hear. So we are going to do a myth busting segment. So I have asked my pregnancy posse members and my social media audience to send in the most common myths they've been told about breastfeeding specifically. There's a million other myths they've been told about pregnancy and motherhood and all of that but specifically for breastfeeding. And I was absolutely bamboozled (laughs) when I saw these come in. And it was from mothers, mother-in-laws, sisters, friends, midwives, GPs. Like it was from a whole range of different people. There was no one culprit who was spreading these myths. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think this is going to be so good because women, I think, feel quite embarrassed to share some of these myths with me and they, they openly said that. Yeah. And and so I worry that women then, if they're not um, 
confident enough to speak out and say, is this actually true? That they're going to carry those beliefs with them into birth and into breastfeeding their baby. And it's just a whole world of misinformation. And so I want to bust through all these myths. Now, I have prepared some of them for you, but some of these are going to be new for you. So um, this will really get you thinking on your toes. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into it because there's quite a number. So first of all, Do you need to prepare your nipples before birth? So a number of women told me that they were encouraged to use a nail file to brush. Oh, I know. It makes me shiver. To brush up against their nipples or to get a baby toothbrush and scrub them every time they go to the shower. (laughs) I wish everyone who's listening to this through their earphones, if you can see Amberly's face right now. (laughs) So, Amberly, what is the answer to that myth? (laughs) No, you do not have to do that. No, definitely don't do that. Everyone's adjustment process is different because it depends on our skin type. I think that's what's really important is that, you know, some mothers experience bad nipple damage and plenty don't. And and so um, it depends on, yeah, that collagen and the elastin, the amount of melatonin in our skin as well. Um, And, um, you know, like that, yeah, my gosh, that's melanin. As I said that, I'm like, it's not melatonin, melanin. That's a sleep Um, Exactly, yeah. I was like, you know, you say something and you're like, I, yeah. don't, I don't know what it, it's it's wrong, but I don't know what the new the other one is. <laughs> exactly. So um, typically, and this has not been studied, but mothers who um, experience sunburn, I find are more likely to have some nipple damage. And then mothers who don't get don't burn in the sun, who go brown um, or have got darker skin, they tend to not have major issues with nipple damage. Um, and it's yeah, definitely not been studied, but it it does tell the story of maybe yeah, like you know that's what's happening with that melanin is that it's really helping um, that adjustment for, for breastfeeding. So because you might be a mother that not, doesn't get any nipple damage and also remember that process of adjustment happens when our babies are breastfeeding. So you might do this work with the nail file. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, and no. it's not going to help you. Like it might – you. It, yeah. yeah, so no, please don't worry about doing don't waste any your of that. Time. Yeah, no. Okay. And I'm just thinking while we're talking about that, um, should your nipples essentially be tougher second, third, fourth time round or not necessarily? Your nipples change when you breastfeed. You, you, you probably remember yourself. You remember what your what your nipples were like before you had babies, and then after you've breastfed, just your first baby, they definitely change. Um, they they lengthen. sit lower towards the ground. <laughs> <laughs> There's that, but they lengthen in a very. They totally change in shape, um, which is great because that's why they're so amazing and adaptable. Um, so, but it still means that when you have your second baby, your your nipples need to adjust again. Um, so it's not that you don't get nipple damage with subsequent babies, um, but I do think breastfeeding does come easier for because mm. your breasts have done it before. So your, mm. you know, your yeah, that collagen and those elastin fibers are not really being ignited like with your first baby. Um, that yeah, our babies can like basically have our nipple in their mouth and they can turn their head and kind of take our nipple with them. Um, That's the worst. <laughs> When they're old enough to do that, it is the worst. Yes, Um, but, you know, that that can happen with subsequent babies. It's not as big a deal than probably when it happened with our first baby. We're like, I didn't even know my nipples could stretch that far. Like, that's crazy. Okay, good myth busting. Thank you. Okay, next one. Does topping your baby up with formula help them sleep through the night? This is a really good question because a lot of people do get told to do this, do a bottle of formula at night. 
So let's talk about that. So the gastric emptying time with breast milk versus formula is very different. So with, with breast milk, it's about 90 minutes it takes from, for our baby to break, break down breast milk. And that's from the start of the feed because remember, as soon as your milk hits your baby's tummy, they're breaking it down in their gut. So if you sit there for, I don't know, an hour, do a breastfeed for an hour, it means that you've probably only got half an hour of downtime before your baby, rightly so, will feel hungry. They will have really broken down your milk. With formula, if it's based off a cow's milk formula, the gastric emptying time is three times longer than that. It's about four and a half hours it takes for them to break down uh, one dose of formula. So during that time, yes, a baby is going to sleep in a very different way. They're going to go into quite a different sleep cycle. Um, but I think what's important to sort of explain with that as well is... Um, there is sadly there's higher rates of SIDS with formula fed babies compared to breastfed babies um, and we don't know why but this is a theory and it's to do with the gastric emptying time. So SIDS is linked with a reduction in oxygen and so when the breastfed baby feels that hunger in their tummy, um, they come out of their sleep cycle. They cry and they take in big breaths of oxygen and they, they rouse. Whereas with formula, the, um, the worry is that maybe what's happening for these babies is they're going into that deeper sleep cycle. They're still feeling hung, like the, the milk in their tummy. So they're not feeling that hunger. Um, and then they don't rouse. And so um, I guess I'm saying that because sometimes mothers do get that promise of more sleep with formula and they think, fantastic, this is really going to be great because, yes, we're all so sleep deprived as new mothers. Um, but frequent night wakings is actually part of the, the survival of our species. It's actually a very important measure. Um, mm -hmm. And just seeking extra sleep um, isn't isn't everything that it's about um, and just something that you can know as a breastfeeding mom is that you're actually helping protect your baby against SIDS in some mm. some really major ways. Mm, that's great and they will eventually sleep. <laughs> yes they will exactly yep and Thank you know you. I think the thing with formula too is that like formula there's such a place for formula for mothers that have got a low supply and they maybe milk sharing isn't the right fit they don't have access to a milk bank. This We're so lucky formula exists and there's definitely a place for it. I wouldn't say helping your baby sleep for longer is the place. Um, yes. um, and so if that's what you are seeking, I would be like, okay, well, I think maybe let's more talk about normalizing night wakings and why yes. there's, yeah, there's, they're playing a role um, as opposed to sort of, yeah, using it as a way to get more sleep. Yes, I think that's I think that's very important. I think realistic expectations. I I interviewed um, a sleep consultant and we were chatting about setting women up to succeed by not telling them that your baby should sleep through the night yeah, at ten weeks old. So I remember good. a girlfriend telling me that her baby slept through from 10 weeks and my son slept through from one year and I remember every week after 10 weeks going oh it must be this week it must be this week yeah. when's he going to sleep yeah. through and it really um mm -hmm. it really wasn't realistic mm -hmm. so I think yes uh, being more realistic about night wakings is is the first step yeah. so thank you now next one if you don't introduce a bottle straight away your child will never take one 
Okay, so I recommend mothers introduce a bottle from six weeks onwards because we really want your baby to learn how to breastfeed. Breastfeeding and bottle feeding are very different um, skills for a baby. It's a very different suck reflex involved. So um, once your baby's had six weeks to establish breastfeeding, that's a really great time to introduce a bottle. Uh, if you want to, you don't have to introduce a bottle. Um, but say, you know, you've got plans to return to work and you know your baby's going to need to use a bottle. That's the time I would say to start practicing the bottle with them. Um, and you can definitely practice the bottle. Now, breastfed babies, are, they're all very different. I find some of them, they start on the bottle and they're fantastic and they do it for a long time. And then they just reach this age where they just refuse the bottle. They will have nothing to do with it. They just want their mum. And then there's babies that don't do so well learning how to use a bottle. They're a bit all over the place, but then they just kind of get the hang of it and they're great. Um, mm. So there's not sort of no guaranteed, like I don't have this special formula that's like, you know, Damn. you do <laughs> you do the bottle on this day and then you do it every second day or you know there's nothing like that because I've really learned that every baby is very individual um, yes. as to how they go with the bottle and if they want to like keep going with it or whether they're like and, and look rightly so breastfed babies love breastfeeding they yes. they it's it's not as we talked about it's not just about food it's not a source of food um, and so quite often their preference is well I would rather maybe I'll have a, the bare minimum out of the bottle and then I'm just going to mm. hang out until my mom gets home because yes. I don't want to drink out of that weird plastic thing um, yeah. And yeah, that's very normal as well. Yes. Okay. Thank you. That is very helpful. Now, the next myth, you must burp your baby after every feed. Okay. So breastfed babies don't tend to take in nearly as much wind as say a bottle fed baby. And so you're not necessarily having to burp them. It's not about you must burp, but it's about giving them some upright time. So maybe after the feed, um, I know not everyone can see me, but um, you would put your baby on your lap and just use um, your wrist to sort of sit under their chin and just lean them forward and give them that upright time. Or maybe you'd prefer mm. to go over your shoulder. Um, it's about basically making sure that you you're creating space for them to be upright to help the milk settle in their digestion. They may not burp and that's okay. It's not like you have to sit there and only do this until the burp happens because you might mm. not have a baby that burps easily. Um, mm. But it's just about um, giving them space to be upright. But then there's also plenty of breastfed babies that don't need to be kept upright. Um, mothers can feed side lying, for example, um, and their baby's fine to just finish the feed and stay in that position. So, um, but that would be further down the track when breastfeeding's further established. Awesome. And we did touch on this earlier, but for anyone who maybe didn't listen to that episode, let's go over it again. You will struggle with breastfeeding if you've had a cesarean section. Mm -hmm. So not necessarily um, at all. It's just that you may really benefit from spending some more time skin to skin with your baby. Um, I would say that I say this to all mothers to create time, like really every day feed to put your baby in just a nappy and you be bare from the waist up and let them do the breast crawl to do a feed. Um, and so that's really important for mothers who've had a cesarean um, is that you're just giving your baby so much opportunity to become really familiar with with breastfeeding and, and the process that's involved. Um, but there's nothing else more specific. I think the, the only other um, things is just that you've got good pain relief on board so that you can get yourself into like an upright position. You can get out of bed. Um, you can feel like you can sit because um, for certain positions like the cross cradle hold, you need to be very 
upright. And so mm. if you've got a sore tummy, that's why breastfeeding can also be hard for mums who've had cesareans. I remember when I had a cesarean with my first baby, you're, you're a bit more limited because you you, you want to guard your tummy. So um, mm. sometimes it's it's creating the time that, okay, I'm going to anticipate this feed, so I'm going to have some pain relief a little bit before. Obviously, all the pain relief is all safe with breastfeeding um, and you're going to feel like you can then therefore sit up and, you know, maneuver your baby and and get your baby on properly yeah great so I think what the summary of that is it may be trickier but there are lots of strategies you can utilize to make sure that you overcome that and from my personal experience I've had two c-sections and I've been breastfeeding collectively for like I don't know almost 18 months two years like and my my milk came in on day three on the dot no problems and obviously that's individual but you know I, no, but are... it's still good to tell these stories. These need to be heard because it's, yeah, you're right. It's a really common theme that like I'm going to, I'm, I know I'm going to need a cesarean or, you know, I went in not planning one. I had a cesarean and, oh my gosh, how is this going to affect my breastfeeding? Yes. And it's like, yeah. it's all good. These are all things we can work with. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. Next myth. If you're, oh, I like this one actually. If your mother struggled with breastfeeding, you will likely struggle too. Yeah, that's such a good one. Um, this happens often in birth. Mothers um, think, I, you know, I know my mother had all cesareans and so it means I'm going to have cesareans. Um, and while there might be some parts of that anatomically, there might be some similarities, it doesn't necessarily say that you are going to follow that lineage. You can create your own story um, and that's very important. But the biggest message I would say with that is if your mum, for example, formula fed, um, is your mum supportive of your wishes to breastfeed? Um, it's not necessarily that's what happened for your mum, but support in our social circle and in our family is a big deal with breastfeeding. So you want to have people around you that believe in you and that are saying to you, you know, instead of saying, oh, is your baby feeding again? Like, you know, mm-hmm. is, is knowing that babies feed very frequently in the early days. So I think that's what's important is that it doesn't have, we don't have to follow the same path, um, mm-hmm. but it can also be helpful that people really yeah want to want to support us with our hope to do something which maybe might as might not be the same way that they did it um but we feel like they respect that we are really we're doing this this is what we want to do yes and you're a different person exactly right I actually remember the hospital I birthed at had separate brochures for grandparents because they acknowledged that how they birthed and parented their babies was very different to what we know these days and so it was like a little refresher or an update for grandparents to um yeah because for the SIDS guidelines I know there was a lot of old wives tales that they might have used that now we know better yes um so yeah I think that something like that is really powerful as well if you're timid to have that conversation to Mm. be able to give them a brochure or something but I ultimately I think yeah it's your life and you need to be able to have the support around you so that's a great one thank Mm. you Mm. now this one (laughs) I'm going to give you the backstory to it so um the myth is that breast milk is basically water after six months and has no nutritional Mm. value so my understanding from this lady's um message was that her mother had told her that there was no point breastfeeding because there was no nutrition left after six months so can you please bust that one for me (laughs) gladly that's a really common one actually that yeah yeah oh my gosh there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot of gps that tell mothers that from a certain very young age your breasts you know you know there's a lot of like script a lot of dialogue that i'm hearing is 
you know you don't need to keep breastfeeding now. You know, you can just give solids and you can just stop. There's a lot of that going on. Oh, um, wow. So, yeah, okay. I know. It's, um, it's crazy. So what I'll always go back to, I am a huge advocate for the World Health Organization guidelines for breastfeeding um, and what their guidelines are. And I actually have a 662 movement which follows the framework of the guidelines in some ways. So my first um, six in my 662 movement is um, my hope is to play a role in supporting mothers, um, you know, whether that's in person or from afar, to be able to breastfeed over the first six weeks. Um, because statistically, if you get to the first six weeks, you can go on and follow the World Health Organization guidelines, which is exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months and continued breastfeeding, which is, you know, solids and breastfeeding until the child turns two or beyond. So that's my 662 movement. Um, and so basically mm. those guidelines are based around the fact that they've obviously studied it. There's great evidence to indicate that breast milk plays a very important role in a child's life for the first six months. Um, but it continues to play a really major part nutritionally, from an immune perspective, emotionally, socially, um, you know, maternal, there's great maternal benefits. These are the, all the reasons why breast milk is still really important for children um, and for babies um, and toddlers. And it's not that it loses benefit. Um, I think what's more probably what's happening here with some of these stories is that it's when breastfeeding is culturally acceptable and that there's yes. certainly in Australia, there's a real focus on from 12 months onwards breastfeeding is not appropriate if a mm. if a toddler can ask for it if they've got teeth um, there's a lot of reasons why people are not so comfortable with breastfeeding beyond that but I think when we unpack what's happening we can learn that it is a, it is a cultural thing it's not actually about the evidence and the role yes. that breast milk plays in a child's life so in summary breast milk is more than water <laughs> after six months oh my gosh it's so much more than water you know breast milk is your baby's primary source of nutrition um definitely in the first six months but really in the first 12 months because even when we introduce solids around six months and you know the the amount of calories that pureed foods or even if you're doing baby led weaning like a stick of broccoli um that's that's got nothing on a breastfeed so um you know for the first 12 months breastfeeding you know breast milk is queen and then after 12 months things shift gears we we notice our babies increase their appetite for solids but breast milk still plays a very important role because toddlers are fussy they don't eat the foods that we would love them to um but also from an immune perspective, breast milk in the second year of life is even more important in a lot of ways because toddlers are mobile. So they get in contact with a lot of germs and, you know, you know, your colds and your ear infections, your gastro, all of that goes up in the second year of life. And breast milk plays a role that either children, toddlers don't get sick or they get a much milder version. So, you know, that's all what the World Health Organization has studied and why um, I'm yeah a huge um, yeah promoter of those guidelines and why I love um, helping mothers achieve their six six two goals. And it's is it true that like, let's say your child gets a you know, a common cold, your breast milk will adapt specifically to provide the antibodies that your child needs for that specific cold or whatever it is that they're yeah. um, 
sick with is that true yeah it's totally true yeah there's this amazing exchange that happens between your baby's saliva um, when they breastfeed and your breast milk they communicate with each other so because um, your baby's saliva travels up your milk ducts it's basically meaning that your breast milk creates antibodies specific to that pathogen in your baby system or even in the environment maybe they haven't got sick but they've come into contact with something and so meanwhile um, yeah your your little one's body is saying there's this antigen that I need to work on uh, it's so cool and the other reason I love that is is if you've got more than one little one at home um, that you're going to really protect say your you know your eldest brings home um, a, a bug um, and you're breastfeeding your younger baby um, you're going to yeah basically play a role in meaning that they either don't get sick or they get a much milder version that's amazing mm. again mind blown yeah <laughs> Okay, what else have we got here? So feeding, another myth, feeding your baby to sleep will cause tooth decay. Oh, that's such a good one. Yeah. Okay. So um, this is definitely talked about a lot. Um, and no, the, the short answer is no, it doesn't do that. Um, breastfeeding, when you're actually feeding, the milk itself bypasses your teeth. If a baby's actually attached to the breast properly, um, the milk shouldn't be pooling in your baby's mouth. Um, it should be, they should be drinking it. Um, but that, they've definitely done studies on that and found that breast milk does not do that. Um, we are, as a species, we are perfectly adapt at breastfeeding um, and it, it's not um, going to do anything negatively to your teeth. Perfect. <laughs> Another one that was really common actually, I saw this multiple times, was that after six months your baby doesn't actually need any feeds overnight. Okay, so that would be probably more speaking to the idea of, yeah, do they need it for hunger? Um, I think what's good is to go back to what we were talking about before about the role that breastfeeding plays in a child's life, that they wake for reasons beyond hunger um, mm. and that night parenting is and night mothering is still something that's, that's really important, still exists. So, um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily here to say yeah, all you have to feed to, back to sleep. Um, I, I understand that every mother needs to do something that works for them. Maybe if your little one's waking frequently in the night, because there are some babies that, that um, you know, wake every 40 minutes. So my, my gorgeous sister was like delirious with her first baby because he was one of those little ones. Um, yeah. And so, you know, my sister was like, he can't be hungry. Um, so, you know, they're not necessarily hungry, but they do need comfort at night um, and yes. so I'm not gonna sort of say as a standard like you need to feed them back to sleep or you, you don't feed them back to sleep um, that's more um, a complex sort of more complex part of how you're mothering um, mm. but I would definitely say that because breastfeeding is is about closeness and connection there is still space for night feeds it's not always about hunger yes okay done now this one sounds very appealing to me but I, I feel like it might be false <laughs> That drinking a glass of wine before feeding helps with your letdown. <laughs> helps with your letdown. I don't know that's been studied. I haven't heard that. I think what it probably gets at is that um, you do need to be relaxed to have your letdown reflex. Your letdown reflex is sort of linked with the same way um, that the hormones um, interact when we orgasm. So if we don't feel calm and relaxed, we're not going to orgasm and we're certainly not going to let our milk down into within our milk ducts. Um, mm. So I'm wondering whether that theory is wrapped up in that, that if you've, what you've had a glass of wine, <laughs> you're going to feel nice and calm. Um, yes. But all I'll reference with that is there's a great app called Feed Safe that the Australian yes. Breastfeeding 
Wine Association have created. And if you do want to have a glass of wine, I would recommend using the app um, so that it can help you work out when is the safe time that you could breastfeed after your wine. Yes, good. Very good. Now, this lady has um, been given this advice from her mother-in-law and she's been told that she can't eat any lentils or onions because it will give her baby gas. What's your take on that? Yeah, so that's a similar thing we are sort of touching on earlier. I just don't, I'm not a recommender of you need to cut out all of, yep, the beans, um, you know, cabbage, cauliflower, spices, garlic, caffeine. Like there's so many things that mothers are told, oh, you've got to cut all of that out of your diet. Um, and it's like, well, is there a problem? Like my philosophy is more, is your baby having major issues with wind? And it's often not just wind because breastfed babies do have to get used to their digestion working. So they have challenges with wind. Imagine what it's like for a baby. They've come in utero, come from in utero where they've never felt what it feels like to be hungry or to be overfed, like to have all this mm. milk in their tummy. Like there's babies get unsettled because there's a lot going on in their body that they don't know what's going on. Imagine how that would feel. And so, um, you know, my whole thing is it, it lets, is it normal what kind of wind your baby's experiencing? Um, and if it's not, then usually it's in the presence of other things. Is there mucus in your baby's stool? Is there blood in their stool? Have they got a rash? Um, have they got cradle cap? Are there other reasons why we need to go down the path of what's called an elimination diet? Do, mm. do we need to cut out all these foods or is that total overkill because the wind that your baby's experiencing is actually just really normal for their digestion adjusting. So I'm not a everyone, every breastfeeding mother needs to cut out certain foods because I think that's just overkill. Um, Mm. And uh, yeah, I I am more, let's just unpack what's happening with each baby and go from there. So get that lentil soup on the stove (laughs) and see how it goes. And the funny thing is quite often if mothers have had these foods in pregnancy remember in pregnancy you've had that same yeah like you know your amniotic fluid was laced with the flavors of the foods that you're eating so even though it's a much stronger experience in breastfeeding it is like our breast milk is laced with the flavors of the foods that we eat um but like i'd often just say to mothers did you have the lentil soup in your pregnancy because if you did your baby is probably going to be totally fine. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because I always joke that my son was going to have a real liking to hash browns and oranges because they were my <laughs> cravings in my first pregnancy. He'll either like them or he might hate them. He might be like, yeah. not these again. Oh, God. <laughs> and Vegemite and cheese toasties in my second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, the next myth, we just have a couple left, is that breastfeeding will make you lose weight faster. No, that's not not true for everyone. Like, again, everyone's experience is different. We do need to eat extra calories. There are some mothers that lose weight really easily. Um, And there's other mothers that they do the opposite. They just hold on to weight in pregnancy Mm. and breastfeeding. Um, And it's not until after maybe that they feel like they can have more of an impact in shifting it. Um, It's very individual. Yeah. Yes. I love that. Um, this one is interesting and we, we, we sort of touched it on before, but I know a lot of women um, feel worried about this, that large breasts will produce more milk and small breasts will produce a small amount of milk. Mm. 
no, definitely not accurate either. Depends. It's not about this. What's on the outside? Uh, it's on what's on the inside that counts. <laughs> it, I know there's so many benefits to that, isn't it? Um, so yeah, it's your milk ducts. So you know, I have very small boobs, and you know, I've had an abundant milk supply with two babies. So yeah, no, it's definitely not like that. Um, and then there's mothers that have yeah, really really large breasts, and they don't necessarily have heaps of milk. So um, yes. no, it's not not that simple. That's good because I know even a number of friends who have um, small breasts who, yeah, just assume that they'll struggle with breastfeeding. So I think that's a really good one to bust. Now, the last one, and you'll actually be able to attest to this personally because you did tandem feed, was that uh, when you fall pregnant, your breast milk will dry up and your baby will wean. Yeah. Okay. So your, your supply changes. Yes. So, um, yeah, so you're breastfeeding a toddler, you get pregnant around the fifth or sixth month of your pregnancy, you will stop making mature milk that your toddler's drinking and you will start making colostrum and that's in readiness for the baby in utero. But the difference is that mothers, um, who are breastfeeding, um, when they get pregnant, they tend to have this abundant amount of colostrum. So your toddler can get fussy. There's usually about a week where they, are frustrated because you're not making the same amount of milk and you might even have um, not yet yeah, very little available for them. Um, but generally, if they really enjoy breastfeeding, they'll still keep feeding. Um, and then you'll, you'll hear them start to swallow a lot more and then you'll be like, ah, oh, my colostrum's here. Um, and then they drink colostrum for the rest of the pregnancy. And then, yeah, same thing happens. You Then you have your new baby um, and your new baby is the one that sort of sends the messages to bring in your milk. Um, and you can definitely make the same, like the right amount of milk for your new baby and your toddler. Um, it all works very well. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I've always wondered that with tandem feeding. So the baby drives the yeah. lactation supply and the toddler sort of just gets the, not the hand-me-down milk, but like they're not in charge so much as the baby is. Yeah. It's more what's happening because it's the, your pregnancy, basically. It's like that experience of your baby being in utero. It's the placenta that's sending the signals to say to make the colostrum. And then it's the birth of the placenta that then, and then your your newborn baby's feeding. And so then they Mm. learn to sort of change shift from colostrum to transition milk to mature milk. So it all just kind of works. But what's really important if mothers do want to do this, I always say, breastfeed your newborn first you need to prioritize they're the ones that need to grow the most um Mm -hmm. and then you teach your toddler you will have your turn um but you Mm -hmm. need to you can have milk soon and then they just learn that i think it's a beautiful way to carve out space in the world for someone else as well it helps Mm -hmm. toddlers really understand sharing in a different way to like sharing your toy with your baby Mm -hmm. that you're not going to be doing it's like Mm -hmm. okay i'm sharing this close time as well um Mm -hmm. yeah and it just it's amazing and i honestly like i think I know, I don't know that many people that did it, but um, mm. for anyone that I know who's like my son ended up having two lots of colostrum um, and his immunity is phenomenal. Like he's just, uh, he rocks my world. And so for my few girlfriends that I know that have tanned and fed, we are all on the same page with this, with our eldest, who was the one that ended up getting two rounds of colostrum. I feel yeah. like those kids have just got superpowers. It's just amazing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So good. Yeah. Oh, I find that so fascinating. I um my son weaned when I was about three months pregnant. Yeah, it and happens. I still Yeah, and I wondered if it was just his age or whether it tasted different. Mm-hmm. But um I still remember and you probably get this story a lot, but 
I thought that, you know, our last feed would be dictated by me and we'd have a salt lamp on and some beautiful music. And I would say, darling, this is your last feed, you know, no more after this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And instead what actually happened in reality (laughs) was that he, he latched on, he maybe had like two little sucks of milk. He might've bit me. I can't remember if he bit me. And then, yeah, no, he did. That's right. He bit me. He looked up at me, he laughed and then he rolled off and went into play with his toys. And that was our last feed we ever had. Oh my gosh. And I was like, hang on. I was meant to be the one that chose that. I was like, like, look, good that there wasn't, you know, a fight about it and he wasn't upset. But I was like, that's not how it was meant to end. Yeah. And I wonder whether it was the fact that you'd had your, yes, your milk would have changed in taste. So that's why a lot of toddlers Mm. do self-wean in pregnancy. Um, or yeah, was it your supply was maybe starting to shift already at three months? Um, yeah. and so he was like, oh yeah, I'm okay. Like this is, this is, I'm done. Oh yeah. yes, I'm finished. But I, do you know, I love, I think when uh, we can follow our baby's lead or our toddler's lead, I think there's so much about that. That's really wonderful. Yes. So yeah. I think you did an incredible job. Yeah. Well yeah. done. <laughs> <laughs> I was so, I didn't think I'd be so sad, but I was no, like, I hey, mister. Yeah. Like, and I thought he was going to be really hard work to wean. <laughs> I just had this story in my mind that oh, he likes it so much. Yeah. It's going to be such hard work. And then he laughed in my face <laughs> and rolled away. I was like, come on. <laughs> Anyhow, I can't complain. It was probably the easiest yes, way to transition. Yes, it was probably a pretty nice way to do it. Yes. Mm. Uh, thank you so much. That myth busting is going to be so helpful to so many women because it's Good. crazy and yeah like bamboozling as so many of those sounded they're they're common Mm. and women are hearing these from lots of different avenues so it's good that you've set the record straight and helped us to understand that um in fact no everything I just said is untrue (laughs) (laughs) so thank you so much for that Now, I'm sure there were some myths in today's episode that you have most definitely heard about before. I hope now that if you hear someone talking about this, that you have the confidence to help debunk that before another poor pregnant mama is left feeling utterly confused about what is true and what isn't. I had never even heard of some of these before and they sounded ludicrous to me, but Amberly was well accustomed to these stories. So I dare say that these myths have been circulating for a very long time. So thankfully, ladies, you can leave the nail files alone and let your poor nipples just relax rather than tearing them up in preparation before birth. I really hope that you have enjoyed this breastfeeding series with Amberly Harris. It has been such a pleasure to deliver this to you and I'm so excited for all the upcoming series we have in the pipeline. For any mama wanting to access this entire series, plus the bonus episode on pumping, hand expressing and correct nipple and latch demonstration, you can watch the entire series inside my online membership program, The Pregnancy Posse. You can find out more and trial The Posse for seven days by visiting thepregnancyposse.com. Thank you again for listening and supporting this podcast. And I just cannot wait to bring you the next mini series with our guest experts. Bye for now.